Good morning. I, uh, the disappointment I feel every time I cover for Ken when I walk on stage, uh, probably because he's such a great pastor, kind of makes me feel like I'm uh, at my in-law's house for Thanksgiving, right? So, uh, but I'm happy to be here, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. I want to welcome you. I do want to say this is your first time visiting. Uh, Ken Sermons, who is our normal pastor, he's on vacation, is one of the most gifted and talented speakers I know. You will not be getting that today, so please do not judge what you see today or judge our church based on that. I also want to wait, welcome anybody who's watching online, uh, especially I want sh- one particular person who would normally would be sitting right here in this front row, and that's my father who is in the hospital right now. He's doing okay, but I want to give a get well soon to pops, to mom and dad down there. Um, but as Ken said, I uh, have the privilege of working in full-time vocational ministry for a living, so that kind of colors my perspective a lot, especially when I'm trying to speak to people. I tend to kind of focus on one of two topics. I either want to encourage people in the church to help those in need, or I want to just kind of encourage those who are suffering and kind of uplift them. But today, I'm going to kind of get to do both, right? And part of that's because it, summertime is kind of a time of reflection for me. I can kind of slow down. I kind of look. And one thing I've been really just kind of been on my, my mind a lot these last few months is what we need to do as a church to try to just get God to move big in our lives, right? And just kind of have these big movements. So what better place to do to look at that than to look at what is by far the biggest movement God can make, and that's resurrecting somebody from the dead. And this day, I'm going to actually look mainly not at Jesus' resurrection, but at John, in John chapter 11 of Lazarus, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So if you want to go to turn to John chapter 11, we're going to kind of go through that. Now, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 43 is what covers the story of Lazarus. Obviously, I'm not going to go through all 43 chapters or verses, but I do want to give a quick synopsis in case you are unfamiliar with the story or somebody online is unfamiliar with the story. So here, here we have a man named Lazarus who John tells us is loved by Jesus, right? Um, he has two sisters, Mary and Martha. John also tells us this is the exact same Mary that, bought, that dropped the bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet earlier in the book, right? So we establish right off the bat that these are three people that know Jesus. They are followers of Jesus. They understand who Jesus is, right? So Lazarus becomes ill, becomes actually gravely ill. Um, and so Mary and Martha reach out and send word out to Jesus to let him know that Lazarus is not doing well. When Jesus hears that, he comes And by the time he gets to Lazarus, Lazarus is already dead. Of course, Jesus raises him from the dead, which he has said he's going to do the whole time. Um, And that's kind of the Cliff Notes version of it. But if we only, and that's kind of the version we all kind of know, right? But if we only look at that version, we kind of miss a lot of really cool, important factors leading up to God doing that big moment, right? But in order for me to talk to you a little bit about that, I kind of got to break this story into two different perspectives, right? I'm going to call it inside the tomb and outside the tomb. So the first perspective is the people who are on the outside of the tomb, the people like the disciples or the people who are there to support Mary and Martha and Lazarus. These are people, mainly most of us would fall into that category. We're living our lives, just kind of going about our daily routine, status quo. And when we look for God to move, we're looking for him to kind of shake things up, kind of get things kick-started, maybe do something for us. The other group, though, is the Mary, Martha, Lazarus group. These are the people who I'm going to call inside the tomb, all right? These are people who aren't in a status quo situation. These are people who are dealing with significant pain and suffering, a lot going on. Something's going on in their world that's kind of colored in their entire attention right now, right? And so we're going to kind of look at it from both perspectives. So I'm going to start with what, I, what kind of on the outside. Um, and, and Jesus kind of shows us some really cool things that we can see and learn from if you are just kind of in this summertime looking to try to get, get God kind of moving in, in, a, in a big direction your way. And the very first thing right off the bat, and I actually talk about this a lot, I kind of work this into just about every time I talk to somebody, is that if we really want to see God do something in our lives, we've got to have the ability to be interrupted, 
right? We've got to have the ability to interrupt it. Right here in this particular story, when word gets to Jesus, I've got to give you a little bit of a backstory. At the very end of John 10, we find out that Jesus had already been in Judea, which is where uh, Lazarus is, right? But he had crossed over, the, gotten some, some, some situations we'll talk about in a second with some local Jews there and had kind of gone across the Jordan River. And now John tells us that Jesus is in the place where John the Baptist had been, and so he's doing work there, and he's doing a great work, and a lot of people are starting to believe, right? That's the situation in which the word of Lazarus comes to Jesus. Now, that tells us something right off the bat. That means Jesus was not sitting idly. He was doing something, obviously, very important. Obviously, if he's, a lot of people are starting to believe in him, he's doing something important, right? So it would have been very easy for Jesus at that point to go, hey, listen, man, I was just over there. I'm over here now, and I'm doing something that's very important, right? I'll get to you later, or I just don't have time for that. I don't have time for one man. Sorry. But Jesus did then what he has done so masterfully throughout the entire New Testament, which is he has taken an interruption and seen an opportunity in it. Whether it's somebody crashing through a ceiling while he's talking, whether it's somebody grabbing him or crowds swarming him or being pushed and pulled or scared and run away. No matter what it was, he was always able to hand that interruption and turn it for something, right? See, the problem with us here in a modern American society is that we live such busy, crazy, hectic lives, right? We work more than anybody else on the planet. We take fewer vacations than anybody on the planet. We spend more time with our kids. We spend more time on our hobbies. We live lives with such small margin. And the problem with that lifestyle is it kind of becomes where we have to go moment to moment, step by step, just kind of get through the thing. Survive in advance is a statement you hear in the Giddens house a lot. Just kind of get through the next thing to get to the next thing, right? But when you live a life like that, we kind of build up this kind of intolerance, this kind of inability to have things kind of crash into our world that throw us off schedule, right? We have the phone call from a friend that we know we need to take, but we just don't have time to have that two-hour conversation, or we have to have that conversation with a coworker we know is struggling with some things, but man, we've really got to get this report done for the next meeting, Right? We just got a lot of that kind of stuff, and so we kind of kind of stay in a, in a lane. But unfortunately, if we really want to see God do something, we got to be like Jesus here. we got to be doing our work, but when something comes along that is an opportunity for us to show what God's done to us and can do to others, we've got to be able to take it, right? We've got to be able to take that, right? And we're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to show some examples of that in just a second. But the next thing that we see right off the bat here um, that, that Jesus shows us if we really want to see somebody move, is we've got to be able to know that the next step we take is going to be very dangerous. I'm going to repeat that. The next step we take is going to be very dangerous, right? Um, Jesus, I said earlier in, in John, when I was referring to John chapter 10, that Jesus had run into some trouble. The truth of the matter is that trouble Jesus had run into in Judea was he had found some Jews that were literally going to stone him, right? And they were going to uh, literally try to seize him and capture him. Right? So he had to flee across the Jordan River. Right? He didn't just willingly go over there. He had to flee over there. Right? So when it comes time to get word from Mary and Martha that, hey, Lazarus is sick, Jesus says in, in, verse, in verse 8, let us go back. All right? Let us go back. And in verse 8, we see, if you put up on the screen here, the disciples' response is, but Rabbi, uh, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? And yet you are going back? Right? Like, I mean, it was pretty obvious that this situation was a dangerous one, not only for Jesus, but for the disciples as well, right? And I think if you look at the world we live in today, it, there is so much strife, there's so much stress and frustration, right? That I have kind of gotten the opinion that God's planting seeds in a lot of people's hearts to do a lot of things, but the reason some of the struggles we're having in this, in this country 
is that those issues that need to be addressed, we have a lot of believers that get to this point. And when someone says, hey, are we going back there? When the next step is into a chasm, right? When the next step is going to be certain risk and certain danger, we stop. We pull back, right? We stay in a, we're taught here in America to kind of play it safe, right? To protect yourself, to protect your assets. You got a family to take care of after all, right? That's your job. But the truth of the matter is that's not how God works. Constantly throughout the Bible, everything God called people to do of any kind of importance put them at risk. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, if you could do it on your own, it wouldn't really be a symbol of anything of God moving in your life. If you want God to move big in your life, you've got to put yourself in a situation that you would fail if you did it on your own. And the only way you're going to succeed is if God kind of came alongside you and helped you get through it and got the glory, right? Right, so know that right off the bat, man. If you're going to do it, it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be dangerous. And, and the last thing I want to talk about real quick to people outside the tomb is... Um, it's something I don't want to talk about a whole lot, but it's, it, it is important in a, in a 2021 world, and that is we've got to learn to handle criticism, right? We've got to learn. We've got to know that in this world, no matter what we say, no matter what we do, there are going to be people that criticize us that are going to come out of the woodwork. We're going to have to deal with the social media, the pushback, the cancel culture. That's just going to be part of it. I think that I just, we, me and my wife just had dinner this Friday with a couple of really good friends of ours. And we talked about that at length, about how hard it is sometimes just kind of deal with the world and the way it'll push back on you, and how hard it is sometimes just not to completely shut down, right? But even in this story, Jesus three times in just 43 verses gets criticized about his actions, right? So first one here, real quick, I'm going to kind of blow through these. Verse 32, Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Verse 30, I'm sorry, in verse 21, I skipped one here. Verse 21, Martha, Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would have not, not have died. Same thing again for verse 32. Mary says the same thing. She fell at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 37, the, the, the Jews that were kind of there to support Mary and Martha, they said the same thing. This is a real condescending statement right here. I, I love this. It says, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind had kept this man for dying, right? So Jesus had made this decision to come heal Lazarus, or to resurrect him from the dead, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but everybody asked, questioned him, hey, listen, if you had just come and done it this way, we wouldn't be in this situation. Like, you had the power to heal him, you didn't come, why did you not do it? Even the disciples, we, we talked about, were like, when they found out they might be going back in danger, they said the same thing, they criticized Jesus, are we not going back there again? That doesn't make any sense, Right? So learning how to tune all out this criticism, knowing that we're going to deal with it, Jesus doesn't respond to any of this, right? He just continues on doing what he knows if he had his plan, right? And let me add this real quick, small little sidebar. If you are struggling with somebody criticizing you, right, and if that's just something that's kind of getting on you, you're trying to kind of live out your faith right now, and you're getting a whole lot of blowback, I want to call your attention real quick to verse 16 in John chapter 11, right? And we're going to hear a quote here from Thomas, one of the disciples who... Uh, after Jesus had made the decision to go back, and the disciples were kind of unsure about the decision to go back and put themselves in danger, Thomas said to the rest, he said to the rest of the disciples, said, hey, let us also go that we may die with him. Listen, so if you're having a problem right now with somebody that's kind of riding you a little hard, find your Thomas, right? Find your ride or die. The person who say, hey, listen, man, don't worry what they're saying. Man, if we're going to go and it's going to kill us, we'll go right there with you. I have three people in my life, Josh Everett, Jason Cook, and Ashley Smith, three men that stand behind my ministries that I know if I need them, 
They are there for me, and they will look me in the eye and go, hey, listen, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for this organization. It's kind of a risky move, but we trust you. You go, we go. You die, we die, right? So find those kind of people in your life. I know this church is full of those kind of people, right? Uh, Ken Sermons has been that guy for me too in the past, right? So just a little something um, to kind of think about. So now um, we're going to kind of get into my sweet spot, which is not so much to people who are in the status quo, right? Um, but more, I want to talk a little bit to some people who might be suffering right now, right? I know, I know a lot of people that work with me and work with my organizations are watching online too, so I definitely want to make sure I, I, I touch on this. So this is what I'm going to tell the people who are inside the tomb, right? The, you're not looking to be interrupted right now. You're not looking to take the next big step to shake things up. You know, you're not worried about what critics are saying right now. You're not trying to kind of get God to move in some fancy way. You need God to move in a big way. Your world is on fire, right? You are in significant pain. That's what Mary and Martha are here. Judah, uh, their brother Lazarus is sick. He's about to die. They do the only thing they know how to do, reach out to Jesus, right? But in order to kind of look at this, I am going to offer some really encouragement here in a minute. But right now, I got to look at a couple things that are a little kind of uncomfortable. This first point right here. Uh, in fact, me and my wife, as I, were, I was getting ready to, to, to speak, we kind of had to relive some of this, and it was even a struggle for us. And that is, I want to look at verse 6. So again, little recap. Mary and Martha know that Lazarus is dying. They, they send word to Jesus. They get word to Jesus. And in verse 6 we see, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. This is hard. If anybody here has ever been in a situation where you've been really in a lot of pain, hearing a verse like that can really pull at you. It even tugs at me now. Like to know that you reach out to your Savior, the one person you know can save you, and he hears you, and his response is, I'm just going to stay right here. I'm not coming. Not right now. Right? I'm going to delay willfully my assistance to you. You're, I'm going to prolong your suffering. I'm going to prolong your grief. Right? These two, these two days for somebody like Mary and Martha was agony. In those two days, Lazarus went from, I'm sick and I'm going to die. Jesus is coming to, he's not coming. I'm going to have to accept the fact that I'm going to die. Those are really tough spots. And there's a lot of people right now who are in that window of time where you are crying out and nothing's coming, right? And I know a lot of you on the outside, it's very easy to say, hey, listen, Jesus has made it clear that he's doing this for a greater purpose. But when you're in that window of time, that's not a whole lot of solace, Right? When your family is on fire, right, when your children are on fire, when your job is about to be ended, when you've got to make that mortgage payment, you don't know where that money's coming from, when you're faced with an illness that you can't afford to get treatment for or just facing an illness, that's a tough spot, right? It's a tough spot to hear that you can reach out to Jesus that he's not going to come right now, right? But I want to give you one little thing here. I can only thing I can give you in that moment is the first part of that verse is that Jesus heard you. Jesus heard. Jesus was aware of what was going on with Lazarus. See, a lot of times in those waiting and those payments, when Jesus doesn't come immediately to us, we assume he's not there, that he's not listening to us, that there's nothing, nothing going on. But the truth matters is that Jesus had heard Mary and Martha's word. They knew, he knew about Lazarus, right? He was aware, right? So just know that silence doesn't mean that Jesus is not there, all right? The second thing I want to talk a little bit about uh, if you're in this kind of situation, is a lot of times it's really hard to understand what's going on, right? And, and when you are kind of locked in that tomb and that, that, that rock closes you in and it's just you alone in the darkness and 
You just spend a lot of time spinning your wheels trying to figure out what's going on and what God's doing to you, but sometimes you just can't know. So I want to, I want to, a couple of verses I want to point out to you. Uh, first off, by the way, if you are ever struggling with what kind of life you should live as a, as a Christian, you can always look at the disciples. I can guarantee you they're going to do something a little off, a little maybe even dumb. You can see how they stumbled through Jesus' ministry, right? Great lesson. I do it again right here. They feed it right up. So let's look at verses uh, 11 and 12, right? So again, he has told the disciples, we're going, he's sick, it's dangerous. But then Jesus makes a very broad statement about, um, about Lazarus' um, fallen asleep, right? Now Jesus is clearly talking in a much deeper, he's dead, we're going to raise him from the grave. But look at this, the disciples' response is, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Right? And John tells us in chapter 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So listen, let me just back up and paint this picture. So Jesus is saying, hey, we need to go to him. He's not doing well. He's asleep. And they're like, oh, well, good. There, that doesn't load off. I mean, I thought something was bad happened, but he's asleep. Let's get him some chicken noodle soup, NyQuil. It'll take care of itself. That was a relief, so why, well, there's really no reason to go, right? He's just going to be fine, right? They completely missed the mark of what Jesus was trying to do for them in that moment. And we, let's look at verse real quick, verses 23 and 24 down the road. Martha, again, has a similar kind of moment with Jesus. When she's talking to Jesus after he finally gets there and Lazarus is already dead, she says, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha's answer is, I know he will rise again at the resurrection, at the last day. Meaning, I get that he's going to be resurrected, but not till all of us are gone, right? Again, completely missing the mark. And this is extremely important. So here's the point of this. A lot of times when Jesus is doing something big in our lives, it's understanding it is not the point. It's understanding the fact that we can't understand it because it's never been done before in our lives. See, both the disciples and Martha missed the point because they'd never seen a guy raised from the dead. It was something they couldn't possibly comprehend that Jesus was going to do, right? They could have spent all eternity and they might not have come to that conclusion. Oh, that's what he meant because they'd never seen it before. So when you're in those moments and you're trying to figure it out what's going on, just understand that you can't understand because God has a plan for you so far above what you think it could be that you can't understand it. You just need to hold on to that. Stop spinning your wheels trying to figure it out. Just know that you can't. And honestly, why would you want to worship a God you could put in a box? Why would you want to worship a box that had the same intellectual level of the situation as you did? No, we want to worship a God that understands things on a far greater level, right? So understand that sometimes not understanding is not a bad thing, all right? Now let's get to some encouragement. And this is a really cool... And, and, and even if you're not struggling right now, this is just a great reminder, right? I think sometimes... As a church, we view Jesus and his words kind of as a verse of the day kind of thing, a platitude. Uh, you know, we don't, we kind of look at it as commandments and rules, guidelines. We don't seem to really connect with Jesus, the Savior, Jesus who was divine but also spent time on this planet as a human, right? And I think because of that, we miss something that we're going to see right now. So I... I just want to make sure that anybody who's hurting right now, you lock into me for the next couple of minutes, right? I want you to lock into me in the next couple of minutes, right? Life's on fire, but let me tell you something. Right here, I need to let you know that Jesus feels your pain, all right? Starting right in verse 33. So Jesus has come. He's finally made it. Lazarus is dead. Everybody's weeping. So he essentially walks into a funeral environment, right? And as he's watching, it, verse 33 tells us, when he saw weeping, 
He was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. And that is an incredibly powerful statement to me. So let me make sure we understand this. Jesus did not come in and say, hey, listen, why are y'all upset, man? I told you I was going to raise this guy from the dead. You didn't get it. What's wrong with you, man? It's not just, come on, guys. No. When he saw Mary suffering and weeping, he moved him deeply. He felt the pain of everybody in that situation. He felt the hurt. In fact, when it says that, when, when the, the Greek of of deeply troubled there also implies this sense that an anger welled up in him, right? A righteous anger of mad that you have to go through this, mad that we all have to deal with this, upset that you're hurting, upset that you're in pain. Listen, I know I waited. I know I had to put you through this for the greater good, but that doesn't mean I don't feel what you're going through right now. It doesn't mean I'm not hurting alongside you. And two verses later is the most famous verse in the Bible where it says Jesus wept. In other words, he saw weeping in Mary and he wept too. He broke down. When she was crying, he was crying. When you're hurt, he's hurt. When you're troubled, he's troubled. Yes, he's delayed. Yes, he knows you're going through that. Yes, there's a greater purpose. It doesn't mean in that moment when that darkness is nothing around you that Jesus is not feeling exactly what you're feeling. And he's not moved to great lengths. In fact, in just a couple of chapters, in just a couple of weeks, he's going to be moved to a cross to die, right? So understand that that's the kind of Jesus you serve, right? Don't forget that, man. Don't forget that in those dark moments. I tell you, sometimes we lose track of that. We think that God's not there, that God doesn't feel us, that we're doing something wrong. But no, when you're on your knees, man, he's right there with you. In fact, let's go into verse 38 and 39. Um, Two of my favorite kind of verses in, in the Bible to kind of start wrapping things up. When Jesus finally gets to the tomb, right after weeping with Mary and Martha, you would think that he would be like, all right, it's, it's showtime. Now is the time. Cue the lights. Get the fireworks going. Let's pep everybody up. I'm about to do something awesome. Instead, it says, again, he approached the tomb. He was once more deeply moved. Verse 38. Once more deeply moved. I just, listen, to know that from the beginning to the end that Jesus hears you, that he's going to use your pain for a greater purpose, right? But he doesn't rub that in your face. He's still there to say, hey, listen, I'm about to move a stone and call your name out of whatever it is you're going through. But in this moment, I'm still deeply moved with deep passion, intense pain, and love for you, even in this moment, right? Even in this moment, that he, he did not lose his passion for us, for you in that moment, right? Never once. I just, I just wonder sometimes if we feel like we get into such a situation where we've messed things up so bad that there's nothing that we can do to get ourselves kind of out of this hole or even to get, get, get God's attention ever again. But the fact that you may have locked yourself in a tomb so far, but Jesus still approaches that tomb deeply moved by the pain you're in and stuff. And I need to know a couple you need to hold on to today. A couple you need to hold on to. But now we're going to switch to, real quick to verse 39, which is actually one of my life verses. All right, it's one of my life verses. And that is when Jesus gets there, he says, take away the stone. 
And you're probably thinking, well, why is that a life verse? Well, let me tell you why it's a life verse, and I think it needs to be a life verse for you, right? I'm going to ask you to repeat something after me real quick. All right, y'all ready? Anybody's asleep, get time to wake up. All right, so God will never do. All right, one more time. God will never do anything for me. Anything for me that I can do myself. Right? So Jesus is about to bring a guy from the dead with just his words, right? A stone's not a problem. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see a stone rolled away. So we know God's capable of moving stones. But in this moment, it's extremely profound that Jesus tells others to move the stone away. And I think therein is something that whether you're in the tomb or you're outside the tomb, something we can all kind of take to heart is that we aren't doing our part sometimes, right? We're not doing what we need to do so God can do what he wants to do. God needed to pull, wanted to pull one of the biggest movements of, his, of the entire Bible, and there was a stone that separated him from that movement. And instead of moving that stone, he still makes us move that stone so he can do that great work, right? So sometimes it's a matter of not being interrupted. Sometimes it's about taking that next big step. Sometimes it's about blocking out those critics, rolling those stones away so God can do great things in our lives. But also, even if you're in the tomb, you've got to roll away your own stones. A lot of times when we're in that darkness, man, we want to turn away. We want to forget. We want to get mad. We want to get angry. We want to say, forget the church. Forget Jesus. I'm done with all of this. None of it's working. I'm, I'm walking away. And that's harder to do than just sit in that darkness and wait for that day. So learning to be able to move away our own stones is very key. If you want to get out of this, this, this kind of shake things up, get out of kind of the situation you're in, you've got to be able to willing to go, hey, I've got to do my part. God can do great things, but i still got to do my part. I can't sit here and wait. I've got to do my part. So Ken last week challenged us with a couple of things. Uh, and I'm going to challenge y'all as well, right? Ken had talked a little bit about how summertime's a great time to dive in and some disciplines, and I'm going to just add to that. It's also a great time to see what's in your life that's blocking God from being able to call you out into something greater. What do you need to do to kind of get God to move in a much greater way? Okay? Um, it's not an easy process. It can be a painful process. It can be a stressful process. But listen, there are people right now in your world that need you to be interrupted, right? There are people in this world who need the vision that God had put on your heart. He needs you to take that next big step, right? And there are people in this world who need you to just stop listening to all the people who are crashing in around you, right? And just get out there and be able to take those slings and arrows. And if you're in pain today, just know... You serve a God that loves you so deeply, so passionately, that even though he knows that your pain is a purpose that he is bringing about within you, doesn't mean that he's not right there weeping and crying with you, right? right? But also, ultimately, no matter what we do, whatever we go through, he can use that for our, our glory and for his God. Right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the, what you do in the lives of so many people. Thank you so much for all that you do to give us a second chance, to give us a chance to move some stones away and see some powerful movement. God, I thank you for churches like Journey that support people like me in, in that kind of journey, God, but we're not, we can't do that alone, right, God? We got to do that with your help and with your support. We can't do it without you, God. To all of us in the church who are just in the status quo of summer, God, shake things up. Move big, 
Help us get to the point where we can move big for you, God. And for the people who are suffering, God, just know, be with them. Pray that some of these people will be the ones that will be interrupted to answer that phone call when they call to kind of help be their Thomas and lift them up, God. But God, let all this be done for your glory. And let us start healing each other. Let's heal this country. Let's heal, let's heal the entire world, honestly. And to your name be the glory, in Jesus' name, amen.